Welcome to the Ford and Ford podcast. This series is to showcase and profile some of the interesting and wonderful people I have come to know over 20 years of being in financial services. We are a financial planning business that is proud of its personality and believe that this is key to forming long-standing relationships. In this episode, I talked to riding instructor Jonathan Cook. We had a chat in the period between Christmas and New Year about how his love of horses and all things equine developed. Uh, Jonathan Cook. Hello. You were here between Christmas and New Year in that, that lull. Um, Meeting with a cup of tea, Mick is whinging, so hopefully we don't hear too much of him. Twixmas, that's what it's called. Is that the actual name yeah, for it? Yeah, so the Times had it today. I've heard a few people call it. Yeah, I think it's the latest, latest thing. Yeah, uh, everything has to have a name. Yeah, it? it used to be no man's land. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, interrupting you. That's all right. Straight away. So, um, uh, Jonathan, we know you from your involvement with horses. Um, you have, well, we've known you for probably 20 odd years since we got Harry. Yeah. Um, and you've been involved a lot with schooling the horses, with um, uh, say teaching Mel to ride. Mel knows how to ride, but. It's always room for improvement. Always room for improvement, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So coaching and yeah. lessons. Yeah, yeah. Which is what you're really known for. Um, but how did it all start? How did you get into horses? How did I get into horses? Uh, age 15, we were on a family holiday on the Isle of Wight. The holiday camp that we were staying at had a, next door was a riding stables, which I fancied having a go at that and loved it, so I went riding and then went back every day, I think, for the week. <coughs> and the proprietor of the stables spoke to my dad at the end of the week and indicated that I had a bit of a gift around horses. All right. That maybe should be encouraged. So on the ferry, on the way back, my fairly new stepmother, who was trying to ingratiate herself with these four stepchildren she'd inherited, um, said to my dad that he was to finance me having riding lessons once I was back home at my mum's house. Whereupon my dad, who was a frugal Yorkshireman, said, it's going to be cheaper to buy a horse. So that's essentially what happened. So you had space then, so even back then? No, 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 no. I went back home to my mum in Molsey. Yeah. Um, a friend of hers in the village, her daughter kept a horse somewhere. So we went round to Auntie Betty's <laughs> and found out where Anna kept her horse and found out that was just about a mile from my house, um, right next to Invercourt Police training place, horse training place. Yeah. And so that was, they had a, a vacancy there. So I've got a place to keep the horse. Under no certain terms was the horse to come anywhere near my mum's house. Right, yeah. Terrified of them. Um, so that's what we did. And then the 
lady who ran the stables in Molesey, she helped me find a horse. <coughs> and that's how it all started. So what did you get first then, do you remember? First was a killer horse. A killer horse. Killer horse, it was totally unsuitable. It looked smart, which is why the lady wanted it in her stables, because it looked the business. Um, but, um, Chucked me off on Hampton Court Bridge and left, left me sort of nearly run over by a double-decker bus. <laughs> um, and then my sister had a little ride on it in the field. It chucked her off and knocked her unconscious. Oh, God. Um, and there were just the two of us there at the time. And, there, and my sister was there with blood dribbling down the side of her, outside of her mouth and unconscious. So, of course, I thought she was dead. <laughs> Once the horse had got rid of my sister, <clears throat> just came galloping flat out towards me at the stable um, with his ears back, intent on killing me. I had to poke it with a pitchfork <laughs> to keep it away from me. <laughs> so that went back. We got that from a dealer, so it managed, we managed to get that returned after three months of terrorising us. Yeah. Um, by which time I'd completely gone off the idea of horses, thought they were evil, horrible, dangerous things. Um, and we very much preferred to have had a dog, and dogs weren't allowed at Mum's house. But I thought, well, if we're renting a stable, maybe I can get a dog and keep it in the stable. Right. Um, but my dad was adamant, no, we should persevere and forget the dog idea. And so we went looking and eventually found a, a really cute sort of starvation horse that couldn't hurt to fly. Yeah. And could barely put one leg in front of itself in the other, so it was not going to throw me off on Hampton Court Bridge and stuff. And I, so I had her for many years, that little horse. That was, she was great. And so did you have lessons on the horse then? Yeah, ironically, I then had to go and have weekly lessons. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, the riding school down the road on the horse, so that didn't save any money at all. <laughs> <laughs> and so did you... Did you then go on and get formal qualifications as well? Yes, eventually. Um, yes, eventually I did that because I started... The rule of the family was if you didn't know what you are going to do in life, then you just stayed in further education until you did. Yeah. So I did my O-levels um, and didn't know what I wanted to do, so stayed on at school to do my A-levels, which I had no interest in doing whatsoever. So after a year of A-levels, I suddenly thought, maybe I could become a farmer, and you can go to agricultural college to do, learn how to be a farmer, mm -hmm. and now that would get the approval of the parents. Yeah. So I went off to Merriswood Agricultural College and got accepted to do a diploma in agriculture provided that I went away and got a year's practical farming experience first. Okay. So I then was sent off to this fabulous farm in Hampshire to spend a year there, and I wasn't allowed to take the horse, so that went to, on loan to someone. Um, but at this lovely, well it's a big country estate it was, I was in helping look after cows. But there was a stables attached for the hunters and resting racehorses that the owner had. And if ever there was a groom sick, I would be taken off cows for the day and put on to the horses. And I just loved it. 
Um, and whilst I was doing that, I learned that you could do qualifications in courses, which I didn't know before. So then my dad, <laughs> it's still further education, but it, it won't be free. So, <clears throat> but he was up for it. So I then did two years training to be an instructor and horse carer but yeah. at two different places and ended up, uh, I'm halfway up the qualification scale, which is good enough for me then to, I was then able to get any job that I wanted yeah. when I left doing that. So that's what I went to. And so then you then went on and started teaching straight away? or um, Yeah, the first job I had was running a riding school in uh, Newcastle under Lyme. Lyme? Lyme. Where is Stoke. Stoke. Stoke-on-Trent, basically. Okay. Um, so that was really good, yeah, loads of teaching there and riding all these different horses. Um, um, and so I did that for a stint, so I'd got that under my belt. So I wanted to have a, di a job in all the different sectors of equestrianism to get experience, which is sort of what I lacked. So I did the riding school, I then left there and got a job in a dealer's yard in Chessington. And that was brilliant because you learn how to ride any, absolutely everything, anything there, mm -hmm. and how to present the horse to quickly, get its mane sorted down, get its you know, whole appearance sorted out so it's like ready for sale. Yeah. Um, so that was, um, that was really good. So I did that, I was there for three years, and I, do, I was teaching on the side there. I could use the horses that are in the dealing yard as riding school horses if I had. So I had a little handful of clients then that would come and ride whatever random horses I thought were suitable enough. Are they still there then, that, those dealers? It's just sold up. All right. Just sold up, yeah. So that was, um, where was I then? I was about 20, 23 or something like that, 24 when I left there. Yeah. So yeah, he's just managed to get planning permission. Uh, so yeah, he's walked for ten million pounds. Thank you very much. Oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, off the back of that, I then got to hear that there was a lady in uh, Cobham that had started a livery stables, and she needed someone to come and manage it because she had another job, full-time job, up in town. So I went along and that was Pound Farm. Where is Pound Farm? Next to the Black Swan. In? Ockham. Ockham. Which side now? So the, up towards where we are? No, come down from you, go to the Black Swan, turn left, Oh yeah. and it's on the left. It's all those oh, fields right. on the left. You you must go past it nearly yeah, every yeah. day. Yeah. I thought. I thought it was further up. You know where I told you about the. Yeah. The incident with the hay. Yeah, that's Ockham Lane stables. Yeah, that's what I where I thought it right, was. Right. Yeah. No. Um, so it's on the main old lane that comes from the A3 down to Effingham Station. Yeah. So I ran that for six months or so, and meanwhile the farmer was converting a milking parlour into another block of ten stables. And Wendy, the woman who had the original livery stables, she didn't want it to take on any more stables. So 
I took, I stopped working for her, <coughs> took on the these ten stables and ran my own livery yard. And then Lynn was, well, there were two ladies that came, arrived first, at the first weekend. One was Sonia, who's our friend that we go to visit in Melbourne now. Mm -hmm. And the second one in was Lynn. And all I can remember is I said to Sonia that I quite fancy that Lynn. And she looked at me and laughed and said, oh, she'll eat you for breakfast. <laughs> so I thought, well, I quite fancy that. So a challenge. So I made a play for Lynn. And uh, the rest is the rest history. is history. Yeah. No, but um, but it's ironic because Lynn and because Lynn and Sonia were, became friends straight away and stayed that way. Yeah. Yeah. To the point that we go to see them still in Melbourne and what have you. Yeah. So it's all nice, really. And so, so they had their horses there. Yeah, Sonia yeah. and Lynn. Yeah, they both were sort of you know high flying executive types, but living in London. Um, and so they had kept their horses with me. And that yard then developed, started off with 10, and then I started running out of room, so my own horse ended up living for a winter in the horse box, because I had to give up his, uh, his stable, whatever, for, yeah, for a paying customer. Yeah, yeah. And then um, there's a little indoor school there, and along which is where the cows used to live in the winter time, but the cows had all gone, etc. So, um, I managed to put up six more stables along the side of this indoor school. Yeah, so that... Oh, and then another stable was put up somewhere else, and then another barn was converted into 12 more stables, and would I like those? So I took them on and filled them all up. Um, and then I had a collection of three horses that lived out in the field with a field shelter. So I ended up having 33 horses in livery. Wow. Which was killing, to be honest. Yeah, but it was. So after that took fifteen years to get to that sort of size. But then after fifteen years, I thought I've, I can't do this anymore. I've had enough. So I sold it. That whole that whole area is quite interesting, from being the way it sort of changed from agriculture to. Mm, mm. Well, no one grows anything or grazes anything on there now. You know, I think all they all the farming they do with the land there is hay yeah. to feed all these horses. Yeah. That, yeah. Which is what Farmer Chris does, isn't it? He's, yeah. He went pigs. And then when the, yeah. the M25 chopped the farm in half. Yes, that's right. I think they went, they did cows for a bit, but just couldn't make a, yeah. couldn't make a living at it. No. Yeah, so the farms now, they all make their money by renting out. So yeah, Pound Farm is still owned by the Maitland family. And they rent renting out all the, the stable yards and then various um, you know workshops and units and what have you and fields yeah and then make the hay. So you said you sold up. So did you own? Like, well, I owned a business. Right. Yeah. And I one of the the one girl that worked for me, I got wind that she wanted to start up her own livery yard and her boyfriend or partner had recently been pensioned out of the fire service with quite a nice lump sum because of a back injury. Um, so I suggested that I felt like retiring from it and um, so my business was available to be sold, to be bought. So we cut a deal with them um, and uh, yeah, they 
bought it and off I trotted. But, so Dad's a lawyer, so I got him to draw up a contract, which is all legally binding, and um, Dad said, well, what, you really should have a clause in here that prevents me from setting up, within a certain radius, setting up a com competing business. Mm -hmm. So that will be normal. I said, well, don't put that in. <laughs> Unless their lawyer wants it in. <laughs> Blood's thicker than water. Anyway, so they obviously they didn't even get it looked at by a lawyer. They just signed on the dotted line. And um, obviously my main thing was I hope that the John Maitland, the landlord, approves this. Yeah. Uh, me just saying, look, somebody else is going to be renting it all off you now. But he, I managed to persuade him, so that was all fine. And then also in the um, contract was that I was to remain as... Uh, or have rights of access to be the resident instructor. Right, yeah. Which obviously I was teaching the bulk of these 30 old people weekly. Um, so that temporarily became, that was great. I had no stress of running a yard and keeping an eye on everything and managing and ordering and paying all the bills, etc., etc. But I just would turn up every day and do my list of lessons, take the cash and go, um, which was fine um, until the new owners, quite understandably, said that they really didn't feel like it was their, their business because I was still coming every day and the clients I was teaching would still be asking me advice on what to feed the horse, what rugs to put on it and does it need shoeing yet and just all the which I couldn't help but answer. Um, so about the same time, yeah, that was six months had gone by. Um, and on paper it was all quite good. But I was beginning to miss having a yard. Um, is that all right still? Um, and that's when Ray York, who's what, two miles down the road? asked me if I'd like to take on his derelict old racing stables. Um, and all the material needed to fix up the dilapidated stables were all on site, help myself do anything and blah, blah, blah. All the facilities there were amazing for racehorse facilities. There were the horse walker and the gallop track and the massive arena. Um, so I thought, well, there's nothing in my contract that says I can't set up two miles and a bit close. But, so I thought, right, I'm going to do my, um, the numbers properly, because the initial yard just evolved and I didn't, hadn't no business sense and it really never made any money at all. It was always hand to mouth. So I sat down and got my figures and blah, 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 worked it all out and it meant that I would actually, the, what I would have to charge would make me the most expensive livery yard in, in the area. But I thought, well, if that's where it has to be then. And then I cherry-picked the ten liveries. <laughs> there were only ten stables. So the ten of my favourite liveries from the previous yard, I just got in touch with them and said, do you fancy? It's going to cost you a couple hundred pounds a month more than you're currently paying. And they all just bit my arm off. Wow which was quite good. So I managed to start day one with a full yard. And I'm obviously, I'm no good with 
money, as you know, because I still didn't make any money out of it. Even though <laughs> the only money I made was from my teaching and schooling. Of I'd have horses come in for breaking in and schooling, yeah. and then people come and have lessons, or I'd go out like to mail and give lessons, and I'd teach the clients. So after five years, I thought this is just ridiculous. You know, I've I'm not making. I want to make four hundred pounds a week. Yeah. Was it even a month? No, I think it's 400. It was 400 quid a week as I wanted to make as a wage. So that was 20 odd years ago. And I never made anything like that out of that business. I only made the money out of my extracurricular activities. So I gave that five years to the month and then stopped doing that and just carried on doing the freelance stuff. So is the yard still there? No, it's back dilapidated. Where is that though? Um, excuse me, it is, if you go to, from Pound Farm, from the back swan to Effingham Junction Station, yeah. turn left, yeah. towards Downside, and then it's, it's opposite where Farmer Chris lives. Oh yeah, I know. Do you know his house? Yeah, yeah. New, on new the corner. March house. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's New Marsh Farm, so it's, it's dead opposite. And it's like a step-toe and sun set up. Um, just that, I mean, he's always getting investigated by the council because it's such a tip and there's broken lorries and dodgy things going on, etc., etc. But he's got, yeah, so there are three stable yards, to, uh, yeah, a nice brick built one next to his house, then the original one that had left to be derelict, which I took over, and then his son has another stable yard with a house on the far side of the whole property. So is he still there? Is he still yeah, very old? dead. It's, it's all still there, but it's all filled, the sun runs it all now. Alright. Oh, so he still trains racehorses. <clears throat> um, yeah, but yeah, Phil, um, Ray and Maureen, his wife, they both passed away. Maureen, with the Covid last year. Really? Took her, yeah. There's a killer. Mm. She went in, yeah, she went in, she fell down the stairs, broke her hip or something. So went into hospital and then got Covid and... That was the end of it. Yeah, so that brings me up to date, I think, with so my that, career. So that was that quite recent then, that you... That, that can't have been. What? That I stopped being yeah. Ray Yorks? Yeah. Yeah, um, no, that well, must be 16 years ago. So you've just been freelancing, teaching yeah. ever since. Which in hindsight is what I should have done all along, because I could finally make some money, because I don't have the overheads. Just so, a car and a phone. So running the yards then, you said they never made any money. Mm. Where did it all go? Was it just on...? Um, well, it went on rent, then st I think staff was the most, uh, the biggest outgoing. Uh, staff, then rent, then hay you spend a, a fortune on. <coughs> And business rates that I always forget about. That's two grand a month yeah. on business rates. Um, the feed bill, and then a load of miscellaneous stuff that you don't even really think about. Um, oh, bedding, that was extortionate. Shavings and straw and stuff like that. Yeah. Or shavings was. Um, Yeah, I don't, I mean, it doesn't, you think it should make, make money, and I did factor it all in, but for some reason it just, it didn't. 
I couldn't make that, yeah, 400 quid a month. Um, and then also, yeah, you have to keep a full house of horses, and if one, well, somebody leaves, um, you know, they give you a month's notice, then you've got a month to try and find somebody else. I generally always had a waiting list that didn't, didn't matter, but if I had a stable empty for a month, then that would hurt, that would be, you know, a loss made that yeah. month, <laughs> see what I mean? So it was, it really was very um, fragile, the viability of it. Yeah. Um, and the, the stress that it caused was, I, it creeps up on you, but I hadn't really realised. Um, and it's just the stress, stress. Yeah. And then alongside that, having had Murphy, so trying to juggle it, a baby, so Lynn wasn't really around because she was reporting globally a lot of the time. So we had a nanny four days a week, but three days a week I had sort of, you know, 100% childcare to jump up as well as a business. It all worked, but it just was all very stressful. Yeah. <clears throat> I remember making a, yeah, playpen out of bales of hay in the middle of the yard, so she'd <laughs> sit in there, toys just chucked in. And then uh, she got older, she'd be hungry, so I was telling her, well, go and raid the feed shed, because people always left carrots and apples and stuff for their horses, so just go and pinch someone's apple. <laughs> <laughs> or a carrot. So do you think that's where her love of horses came from, though, just being... Yeah, immersed in them, yeah. I think, yeah. Yes, because she's got the similar sort of way with them, easy, it comes to her naturally, how to deal with them, certainly. Um, but, yeah, so she's had them. In fact, the first pony she had appeared before she was even born, which were uh, just this little stray Shetland pony, and its foal literally appeared in our garden. <laughs> we came home one night, and there's these little four beady eyes in the headlights through the gate. What the hell's going on there? And it was these two little ponies, they were... We did a bit of tracking down, managed to find out where they were from. Um, and, um, of course, he didn't... The guy didn't want the foal anymore. Little dun, tiny little dun thing. So we gave him 50 quid for that and kept that. And then by the time Murphy was old enough to ride, it was old enough to be ridden. And it was really quite sweet. Although <laughs> mushroom, she looked like a mushroom. <laughs> appeared in the garden like a mushroom does. That's quite a good name, isn't it? Yeah. Mushroom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess if you've, if you're brought up on horse feed and carrots... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't got much choice. No. So were you living over in Blinder Heath then, when, when all that was happening? Yeah, yeah. I only ever lived there. So, um... When I first met Lynn, I was living in a mobile home on the farm. Yeah. Um, and then... That's right, Lynn had a really quite nice flat in Ballon. And then we split up for a short while. And I rather missed the nice flat in Ballon. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a rather nice little studio flat in Surbiton. Yeah. Which I really did like that, that was great. Um, and then Lynn and I got back together again. 
and got married. So that's why we then bought the house that we now live in. Yeah, so that was 30 years ago. Wow. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that was funny, because she said, right, I don't want to live in a nice flat in Ballam anymore. I'm an old bugger. <laughs> I, I do, but my dogs like it. Um, so she said, no, I want to move out of, out of um, town. And of course, she has no time to do anything. So I said, well, don't worry, leave it to me. Um, I've always rather liked Thames Ditton, um, which is out of town and easy for me, easy for her to get into London or out and about, easy for me to get to Cobham. Um, and I've always liked Thames Ditton. So I found a nice little cottage in Thames Ditton, um, lined that up. So we went and had a visit to there and Lynn said, oh yeah, this, this is nice, isn't it? But I want to be further out from London than this. Okay, great. So I'd heard East Hawes is quite nice. That's out of London, easy to get the A3, easy for me to get to Cobham. Um, again, found a nice house, got more for your money in East Horsley. No, I still want further away from London. I want rural, she said. So that's where we found the place in Blind Heath. That's what I know, she said, I'd like, I want some land. That's right. So uh, yeah, so that took six months yeah, to, to find where we live. And so how many acres have you got out there? Nine. Wow. Nine acres, nine stables. Which is, yeah, it's been lovely. Yeah. Mm. And a variety of horses. How many, horses. how many have you got at the moment? Five at the moment. Which is two too many. Um, but, yeah, one of them will be, is the invest, the, the big draft horse is to, just be produced and sold. Are you really going to sell it? Yeah. yeah. You won't sell it. <laughs> well, we should do, unless several others die when we're short of a horse, um, which could happen. But other than that, that's, that's, that's fair. Um, Murphy's uh, thoroughbred horses, she's just decided is a project right, yeah. to be sold this, this well, next year. So that'll get us back down to four definitely um yeah one might die the old spotty horse <laughs> the vet came the other day to do their teeth and he's only got about three teeth left so but he's not starving at the moment he's obese but um i think i'll come a point when he hasn't got enough teeth and probably have to go um so that gets down to the three then the big heavy horse could stay Let's hope so, because he's quite special. Yeah, yeah. So what is he? He's a Belgian draft. Belgian draft or uh, Ardennes. Yeah. And how yeah. much does he weigh at the moment, do you reckon? Oh, I don't know. He must weigh a ton. Really, as much as that already? I thought so, yeah. Wow. And what is he, three? Three, yeah. Yeah, still growing. That was fine. I took with Morton, who you know. Yes. And he's my farrier as well. Yeah. When we got this horse, it had quite shocking feet. I might have told you this story. Yeah, but where's it? Remind me where he came from. Where did you find him? He just came um, basically from Facebook. Okay. Yeah. From one, yeah, it started off on the one friend seeing on Facebook, and then ended up 
you know, with us getting him. And uh, so then I saw Morton at another yard, and I said, oh, when you come next week, can you just leave time for one extra one? Because we've got the Belgian draft. So then he just looked at me and he said, there's two words barriers to never want to hear. And they are Belgian draft. <laughs> <laughs> I said, don't worry, we've done in intensive training on getting him to pick his feet up, which intensive was a bit of an exaggeration, but he did pick his feet up and he's fine. So, uh, yeah. But he's gorgeous. But I quite, I quite he's like he's lovely. quite heavy horses. Mm. But are they quite rare? Um, yes, I suppose they must be. Yeah. Yes. They're like, a lot of like shy horses and stuff are technically endangered. Yeah, because you would think <clears throat> Because there's no, no need for them anymore. Yeah. So even in Belgium, they don't, they, you know, they're a, an agricultural animal. They are also used for food. Yeah. You know, they're a bit of delicacy, aren't once they? they? Well, it's just horse meat, I think, isn't it? But I think that the, that particular, the Belgian draft, I think, is, isn't it considered a... I don't know, actually. I haven't looked into it. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe you're missing a trick. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, after we saw him, I looked at, um, I looked at Shires. Mm. They're expensive, because I think they're, they're so They've just rare. gone through the roof, yeah. Um, I don't know, it's, it's the way dogs have gone expensive as well, since lockdown. Um, horses have done the same, including shire horses. Which is good, I think, because people haven't charged enough for horses for a long time. Yeah. And nor dogs, so well-bred dogs should not be cheap, Yeah. I don't think. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, it's shires used to be very little money because who wants one? But now people do. Yeah, I mean, if you consider, so um, like your Rue, mm. where would you put him? You know, <laughs> you're going to need a lot of space for all of mm. there. Mm. That's true. And so, um, and he eats twice the amount. Yeah, exactly. That's normal, so it is expensive. Yeah. The farrier was charging me ten pounds extra. Yeah. But he's now put it down to normal rate because he's easy <laughs> to do. But but if you're trying to put metal shoes on him, then you know it'd be over a hundred quid. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, there are the expenses are greater. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah, as you say, that you know they, the horses have been because there was a time where you could. We were overrun with them. Well, mm. not quite overrun with them. You can pick horses up for next to nothing. Mm. You still can in the racing industry. Yeah. They're still 500 quid, an X racehorse. Um, but if you have an X racehorse like that, you have retrained. Yeah. And it's got a bit of a record of, you know, that you can prove that, that it's done this and the other. Then it's worth just as much as any other horse. Yeah. So, um, does, yeah, money to be made there. But the, yeah, Rue was expensive originally when he was in the, at the dealer. Um, but then his price just plummeted because it became apparent that he wasn't a three-year-old golding; he was a two-year-old colt. Yeah. So uh, he was of no value yeah. to the riding industry. So he was going to go back to Belgium to be, be the meat industry. <laughs> 
which, yeah, that's the value we pay for in meat money. Because you were telling me that it's quite expensive to geld a horse of that size. Yeah, potentially. It could be um, in the thousands, potentially. So we were lucky to get it done for 300. Good old doing it the, the old-fashioned way. Yeah, well, tell us about that. Tell us that story of what, what happened. What happened was... Um, <coughs> Um, well, I explain what gelding is, because there's maybe going to be people... That's true, <laughs> maybe this is where it is. So gelding is a castrated horse. Oh, An uncastrated horse is a stallion, and stallions are notoriously temperamental and very difficult to handle, and they've only got their mind on one thing. So when they are generally six months old, they are gelded or castrated. So they become docile and rideable and biddable. Um, for a horse to be gelded easily in a straightforward way, the testicles have to have dropped down. So on this occasion, by the time that this horse was two years old, his testicles hadn't dropped down. And so, and, Which, how, and how much would you reckon he weighed when he was two years old? Oh. Probably not much less than he is now. Yeah, three quarters of a tonne. But at six months old, he was going to be... You, know, you could push him over at six months old. Yes, well, you could then, that's not really relevant. You just, the vet would just sedate the horse. But my point is, it's physically, yeah. it's a lot more work. Oh, God, yeah, 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 yeah. That's why it becomes a, a, literally an operation yeah. to castrate a horse when it's adult. When it's immature, it's just a procedure that's very common and very simple. Um, so, yeah, this brew, at age two, his testicles hadn't dropped, which meant that visually, between his legs, looks like a, sta uh, um, a gelding does. Oh, right, yeah. There's nothing there. So that's how come the confusion came about. And, but the um, evidence that he hadn't been castrated was in his passport, which it gets stamped and added to, so this stallion, or colt, has now been gilded. Yeah. And of course, that was missing. That hadn't, because it hadn't happened. So that's why we got him cheap. We picked him up one day in July, I think it was, um, and seven days later, a testicle appeared, which was brilliant. I'd already spoken to my vet on the phone about, is this madness to buy this horse, you know, <laughs> and he said, well, you've got various options, you know, one is just do nothing and have a stallion. Um, number two is testicles might drop, in which case it's just a normal procedure. Um, number three is the thousands of pounds one where he has to go off to an equine hospital and be fully sedated and turned upside down and operated upon. So we thought we'd take a gamble. So after one week, testicle come down, thought, that's brilliant. Um, and then the vet did come out to see him and he had a rummage about and he said well I can feel the other one it's waiting in the wings it should drop down soon but if it doesn't it's not a problem because I can just cut a bit of skin and find it um, 
So that's where, but he said, I don't recommend doing that now because it's summer and there are flies and you'll have a wound and blah, 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 leave it till the winter. So we waited till this winter, that winter. Um, and out he came and did it. And that was done in his Antipodean Heath Robinson way, which was just injecting full of ketamine. So he lay down fast asleep, then the vet got one set of legs, I got the other set of legs and hoiked him onto his back. So we didn't have all these mechanical winches and sterile conditions. This was just done in a riding arena. You just rolled him over? Rolled him over, propped him up on that position, prone with bales of straw. Um, yeah, the testicles were removed very simply. Then he was given his antidote to the ketamine. And he stood up and that, that was it, done. <laughs> he had a week of pain relief medication. And then, um, so now we have a horse that has value. You know, isn't a liability. Um, and his, his behaviour was begin, beginning to get a little bit fruity. Yeah. Even though we don't have any mares, he was, there was one horse in particular that just prior to the castration, he was determined needed mating. Right. Um, and that was the ancient old horse with no teeth. So it was a bit unfair to have this yeah, massive grey horse <laughs> <laughs> crushing him. <laughs> so obviously that behaviour just has gone completely. Um, so yeah, so we've got a nice placid, well, you've seen him, just standing yeah, there gorgeous, yeah. looking like Ermin Trude the cow. And has, has Lynn ridden him yet? No. Do you think she will? No. I doubt it. But didn't she want, want one? She wanted it. She's wanted one of those. She's loved those horses ever since she first saw one. Yeah. At a heavy horse centre. And so when this horse came up for sale, we thought, well, come on then, let's get it. Because you've always wanted one. Her horse she rides is the old toothless one that we have to factor in. He's not going to be around for very much longer. So a replacement is in order. Um, but she's got quite nervous about horses as she's got older, mm. um, especially being around them. She thinks they're going to jump on her or kill her. So the whole point, went to this dealer's yard in uh, Dartford Way to look at the horse. I said to Lynn, right, in you go. Go and pat him and groom him. Pick his feet up. If you feel in the least scared or intimidated, now's the time to say. So she went in, she did all these things, you know, she convinced both me and Murphy that she was not scared of this horse. Um, so we then bought him. And, oh yeah, then, so he arrived a couple of days later and he got mites and he wasn't in a terribly good condition. He hadn't been neglected, but he needed a bit of an MOT. So I said to him, right, it's your horse. Um, I'll control him, but you're going to give him a good bath from, you know, tips of his ears to the bottom of his tail, scrub everything with his medicated shampoo. Um, which normally she would say, no, I, I, I can't do that, I can't do that. Um, and she does get vertigo, so she thinks that if she reaches up high to scrub all horse's head, she might go dizzy. And if she goes down low to pick up his feet, she might get dizzy, so she sort of gets a cop out. But no, she did it all. She, she gave him a good scrubbing and really got hands on, and that was good. And she basically hasn't touched him since. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. 
for whatever reason. I mean, no shit, that is it. We did, before he was castrated, um, we got in the habit of taking him for a walk, like a dog, just around the farm next door, just keep him stimulated. Um, and again, the, the um, so I said to him, right, you're, you're doing it, for, I'll come with you, but you're doing it, it's your horse, you've got to make the bond with him. And they, they'd got about 200 yards, I suppose, and then he flinched at something in the hedge and sort of clonked her ankle with, her, with his foot. Didn't tread on her, but sort of whacked her, which made her cry and, oh. and so I can't, do, I can't do this, I can't do this. So I then took over and said, because she wasn't leading the horse correctly. Um, he should never have been right beside her. She, he should have been following behind her. Um, but I thought, I'm not going to say anything because I'll just get my head bitten off. And then sure enough, he whacked into her. So I took over and explained, this is what I would have hoped you had done and kept the horse behind and blah, blah. So she ended up um, finishing the walk, taking him back off me and having him walk correctly behind her. Um, but she's still traumatised by the fact he hit her ankle, so she hasn't done that since. <laughs> oh, bless. Is that quite common? Do you see that with, you know, in your experience, do you see? Incorrect people? handling. Well, they're just people, as they get older, they get more oh, nervous around. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, myself included, to be honest. Yeah? Yeah, with riding them. Um, um, yeah, and that's not just be getting windy. I think I've accumulated so much, um, so many experiences that I do know that this could happen that's bad, that could happen, I've seen that happen, I've seen that happen. Yeah. Um, like I told you about the, um, the van coming at speed towards us with plywood sheets on the roof. Yeah, tell me about that again. I'm just going to put the light on. Yeah, getting a bit dark. So that was, um, yeah, that's a good good example of think my experiences have taught me to be that anything can happen. Yeah. And your life, life-changing things could happen to you in a bat of an eye. So this was when I was, we're riding with somebody else on a, I was riding a very jittery, nervous horse and we'd started the ride down this quiet lane in Epsom and I could see coming towards us, quite a long way away, was a transit van coming at speed. As the van got a little bit nearer, I could see that it had a whole load of plywood sheets on its roof. Got a bit nearer, still going fast, the plywood sheets were only attached to the van from side to side. <coughs> so my intuitions made me say to the other girl, I think we should just move the horse into this driveway, clear, clear out the road. Because then the van came round the corner, saw two horses, so slammed on the brakes and all the plywood sheets just flew off the front of it um, and went scudding across the road. So, so we sort of, well, dodged a bullet, we dodged a plywood sheet or two, because that would have definitely chopped, hit, chopped my yeah. head off, I think, or, her, or the horse's legs off or something like that. So, so now whenever I see a vehicle with something on the roof, I can't help but check that it's 
tied down correctly, which you could call that neurotic, but I know from first hand that if I hadn't been neurotic, then it could have been a total disaster. Mm. So the, all these in, instances and experiences all add up. Um, and like with jumping horses, I've sort of lost my love of doing that now because one, I think I've I've never really had an accident jumping. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm 58 now, so yes, my luck is going to run out <laughs> at some point. Um, and also, just with my experience teaching, you know, I've seen so many accidents and just spectating at sports and competing and stuff, and you see so many accidents happen um, that you feel, right, well, to ensure that I don't have an accident, I've got to make sure that I'm doing this and this is right and the horse is doing that and the tack is all correct and the ground is correct and the landing ground is safe and 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 these are all relevant things, concerns to have, but when it's every single jump you do, you're having these thoughts of checklists like a airplane pilot, then you just think, oh, it's not worth I think retirement's around the corner. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> but no, that's just riding them, handling them and everything like that. So I'm, I've been around the block enough now to know that I can deal with any sort of potentially dangerous situation, but I do see so many people get hurt mm. because they're not doing things correctly. Um, and they don't think that this could happen, but trust me, it can. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I don't have the experience you have, but I've seen some. It's just people not thinking. It's a few years ago now. There was a well thought of lady. Um, I think she was a master of the local hunts or something like that. But a good old-fashioned equestrian gal yeah um and she phoned me up to ask if i would come and clip her horses which is taking the winter coat off yeah because the winter coat's thick and furry and they get sweaty and hot hot so um i thought well, that's peculiar because I, d- I know who you are and you're well capable of doing it yourself and she said well it's because i've lost my son so i thought oh that's terribly set me up no she's bereaved and can't do it. Still seems a bit of a funny excuse for not clipping your own horse. Um, or maybe her son did it and that's why she can't do it, but whatever. So um, I said, I went away and went over and, and said, I'll do it. Turns out on the phone I'd misheard her and she said she's lost her thumb. Oh. <laughs> Which is clearly why she couldn't operate the clipping machine anymore. Now she'd lost her thumb after having horses for 40, 50, however many years. In bringing the horse in from the field through the gateway, the gateway swung in the wind and whacked the horse up the arse, so the horse jumped forward. She had unwittingly got the rope wrapped around her thumb, so as the horse went, took her thumb with it. So life-changing incident, a blink of an eye, just bringing a horse through a gateway. So now I'm neurotic about gateways. Not neurotic, but I'm aware that if it's a windy day, we're going to make sure that gate really is properly open and not going to flap. And I've never, I've known somebody who's lost their finger, tip of the finger, with a very similar thing, rope wrapped around it, horse 
Oh, I wouldn't be nervous about that now. Mm. I did once. Well, the rules are all there in, in the books, so I'm highly qualified, as I've explained. <laughs> <laughs> always wear gloves, always wear a hard hat. Um, yeah. I had a gay incident that I, I, I thought I was going to get told off for. Mm. I was bringing in the horses, and it was a windy day. I think I just had Harry left to bring in. I was there on my own, I can't remember what I was. It was an afternoon. Mm. And it was really wet and windy, it was horrible. And they were all up the top of the field. And so I rode Harry back down. I got on him, mm. so I didn't have a hat on. We've all done that. Well, it's, it's the easy thing to do. And it's Harry as Keeps well. Keeps your feet clean as well. Harry doesn't do anything. No. Um, and got to the gate, managed to get the gate open, pushed the gate open, and Harry just went to go through the gate. Mm. And because I, I didn't have him on any kind of reins, there was no bit in his mouth. No. He just went and I couldn't stop him going. Yeah. Because <laughs> he just wanted in. Then the gate blew closed onto my leg. Uh, and yeah. the, the, the pin of yeah. the went into my leg. Yeah. Got caught in my boot. And I, I think I managed to stay on, but the, right. the, the gate went into my shin. You know when something hurts so much, yeah, you, yeah. Don't, you don't want to look at it. <coughs> yeah. Um, so you feel a bit sick. I felt a bit sick. Yeah. yeah. So I got home, and I had this massive gash in the front of my shin. Jeez. Yeah. It really hurt. I was really quite worried about telling mm. Mel because mm. of getting. Um, and she likes her rules and regulations. She does like a rule. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've had exactly the same thing happen to me um, a few years ago. Um, because the gate was beginning to close on me and the horse whilst I was riding it, instead of when I went, wait, yeah, whoa, I need to shunt it open a bit further, he freaked and shot through. But we can get, we can make it, we go now. what Harry did. Yeah, and crash, crashed my um, ankle into the, um, the metal fitting of the, the gate post. And I did think, I was on the back of the I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and again, I, I waited till I got home. I, I wasn't, I wasn't gashed like you were, but it was broken the skin. Yeah, I had a big um, scar on the front of my shin for years. Mm. And then I had my um, being knocked out unconscious whilst riding a horse incident. That was, um, and that was my own horse leading. Um, leading a field of 20 people round on a hack around the farm over jumps and for some reason <clears throat> I thought I don't need to put the strap that stops the horse throwing his head up really high I don't need to have it on um, because I put a different bit in his mouth that gave me the same sort of control yeah um, which it didn't <laughs> it, it turns out <clears throat> So we're cantering around the corner, here comes a jump. I just steadied the horse so that everyone behind could keep up with me and he objected to being steadied. So he flung his head in the air and cracked his skull against my forehead. Obviously I was wearing a hat, so I don't know if he actually hit my skull below the hat or the hat itself. Yeah. But I immediately felt myself going all, everything spinning. And I'm still on a horse cantering towards a hedge. And, um, uh, and then I'm not, I don't remember the horse jumping the jump, but I remember landing from the jump 
and just consci consciously thinking, I can't stay on for much longer. And then the next thing I can remember is I was um, surrounded by a gaggle of 20 very concerned looking people and I was coming round. Wow. Um, and of course, I'd lost consciousness whilst on what was initially a cantering horse. Yeah. So that soon became a galloping <coughs> flat out horse that I then got pinged off, pinged off just by the, obviously he didn't throw me off, I just flopped off. Um, but I was, I'm not, I was unhurt, which is lucky. Yeah, I had blurred vision for a couple of days, but I could have been very badly hurt, it hurt in the fall. Yeah. And it was summer, so the ground was quite hard, but no, no nothing was wrong with me at all. But, um, so have you ever had any like, broken bones or big injuries? No. <laughs> um.